but essentially the, the part of it that's just is like it is just really restricted and it's not moving i think that's the key bit there when we look at like what is the limitus or what is like alex limitus or big toe limitus is essentially your big toe is stiff but it's still able to move welcome to the restore to explore podcast hosted by your soulmates from the foot collective I'm Jim, and here at TFC, we're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. So this week, I'm back with Tom to explore the topic of hallux limitus and rigidus. So what those are and the difference between them, how they happen, and what you can do about it based on the current evidence and our experience with our physio clients. So the aim of these podcasts is really to help you better understand the condition in question and help you get started with some general tips. But when it comes to specific conditions like this, individualized assessment and guidance is really the key. So if you are struggling with this condition or any condition, especially in the lower limb, please reach out because we can potentially help you directly with our online consultations or we can point you in the direction of other practitioners or resources that can help you. If you find this podcast helpful, please support us by sharing it out with your family and friends. And you can also leave us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on. Please also feel free to send us through suggestions on conditions or topics that you'd like to hear about. Before we get started with this week's episode, I wanted to share a quick story from our community. Janine Devery is a member of our Explorer program. This journey has been really interesting to me because it's had a psychological as well as physical side. I hurt my ankle about two weeks into the journey and normally that would throw me, be full of doubt, wondering what I'm doing. But with the encouragement of the team, I continued and I'm really glad I did because now at the end of the journey, I feel I've got less pain, I've got more mobility and I've got a sense of hope and accomplishment. And I really like that. Sometimes when I was putting up my dancing videos or just mucking around, I was embarrassed about how weak or restricted I was. But I've learned from this journey that it's really not important. And it's all about the process and not the outcome. And that's really a big deal for me. So I'm going to continue to do this journey and just focus on the process. To this end, I'm going to add a little bit more ground living into my life because that really makes sense to me to have that daily practice and I will continue my journey. Thank you to everyone who has encouraged me. If you're like Janine and have a specific foot or ankle condition, issues up the chain at your knees, hips or back, or just want to improve your overall movement health, the Explorer program is for you. To learn more, head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer or head to the link in our show notes. All right, we're back. We are back again. It's been actually a little while since our last condition exploration. I wouldn't really know how many weeks. We've, we've had a busy three months. Yeah, very, very busy. Mm. Um, but I always love doing these ones with you, mate. Mm. And this week... We're doing hallux limitus and rigidus. Yeah. You, you've had a bit of hallux limitus. I have. Going on yeah, in your time. Big, stiff, big toe. So very relevant for you, mm-hmm. but not rigidus. No, not rigidus. We, we will explore these terms. Yes. We'll talk about the difference there. Um, uh, quite an important difference, really. Um, I think it's very, I mean, it's always important to get these words right. You know, me- medical words also just weird, yeah. right? 
I know it doesn't the, the actual word hallux rigidus it's like <laughs> it yeah. means nothing to anyone who hasn't studied anatomy really. no not at I all. guess rigidus maybe yeah <laughs> you'd hope mm. limiters and rigidus are kind <laughs> of self-explanatory but mm. hallux is the big toe for anyone yep. um wondering uh, I guess if you're listening to this, you've probably been diagnosed or been told you've got hallux limitus or rigidus and therefore you probably are aware already that it is of the big toe. Um, but yes, the hallux is the big toe. Um, but before we dive in too deep, uh, just my usual uh, spiel about the fact that first off, um, this is just Tom and my... Um, exploration of this based on our understanding of current research and you know anatomy and physiology and our experience with with our physiotherapy clients Um, it's not supposed to be um, specialized medical advice or um, basically if you do have a condition or if you think you have this condition um, this podcast will give you some extra understanding about the condition and a bit of a framework of how to think about the condition and and some simple things to um, start trying. But realistically, if you do have a specific condition, then you need to get that um, looked at by a professional, uh, preferably in person or if need be online. And both Tom and I offer online consults. Tom generally has a a few more days of operation than me. So um, you can find that on our website. but if you do, seeing someone in person is always good too. And we do have a directory of uh, practitioners, a growing directory of practitioners in Australia and even throughout the world now. So uh, if you're not aware of anyone local to you, you can always hit us up with that. Um, but with all that being said, did I miss anything there, Tom? Uh, no, I think it's spot on. Spot on. Once again, great introduction. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get it really smooth one day. <laughs> um, but yes, so Halix, let's, Halix Limitus and Rigidus, we might as well just start with... Well, you start where I'll, you want to start. I'll start where I want to start. Okay, happy, <laughs> I'm asking how, the questions yeah, here. Yeah, how good, how you're good. You're giving the answers. So, so to, the upfront thing is before like we looked into this, and I think we talked about just before, Like, I actually didn't know what the difference was before yeah. diving deep a few months ago. Uh, I, part of me thought they were interchangeable. Yeah, really. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, they just seem like they're words. But when you go in... And so, uh, it's really interesting. When you look at, like, Hugs Rigidus, right, you can see different definitions. And even in this one article I've got sitting here, like, the definitions, I'm not going to use their specific one because I don't like it. But essentially, when we look at... look, Think of the word Rigidus, think rigid, right? It's restricted. Now, the question is, which way is it restricted? So, we're talking about your big toe. We're talking about it being restricted. And essentially, you think if your foot's flat on the ground and you try to just pull your big toe up towards the shin, right? So we call that extension or dorsiflexion, depending upon who you talk to. And we're looking at like the big toe knuckle, okay? It's like the joint itself, not necessarily like the little one joint in, in the big toe, but that big knuckle. So essentially, hallux rigidus is when it's really, really stiff. Now, how stiff really depends on how much you look at it, but it's one of those ones where it's more stuck now when you look into it it's like why why is it so stuck why is it so rigid and it can be due to like osteoarthritis or osteoarthritic changes in the big toe joint it could be due to like little bony growth in the big toe joint but essentially the the part of it that's rigid is like it is just really restricted and it's not moving i think that's the key bit there when we look at like what is the limitus or what is like alex limitus or big toe limitus is essentially your big toe is stiff but it's still able to move. And it's often due to either say like a joint stiffness, like capsular, ligamentous, think 
muscle, muscle tendon sort of stiffnesses. Even in some of these articles, they say like other soft tissues such as the, the calf muscle itself can seem to affect um, the big toe being stiff. But essentially, it's like a on a spectrum, you can have hallux limitus and it can progress into hallux rigidus uh, through injury or through just natural progression, but they're not the same thing. And what's interesting, if you really want to just try and like figure out if you had it, if you look at what we define as like normal normal uh, movement of that big toe knuckle, when walking and such, we're looking for about 60 degrees of movement. So think again, if your foot's flat and can you pick that toe up and make a 60 degree angle? And I'd make an assumption there'd be a lot of people who probably don't have that 60 degrees. You do clearly as we're sitting here watching it. That's a good, that's a good few degrees. Yeah. But I'd reckon there'd be a lot of people who don't. So technically you could say that a lot of people have hallux limitus. Which would be on a, a scale. Yeah. yeah. So a stiff big toe basically. Yeah, you have a stiff big toe. And, and so to summarize there, the rigidus is more of a bony stiffness by the sound of it. Like the actual bone yeah. on bone movement. Yeah, the word affected. arthritic joint seems to pop up a few times. Yeah. So, so the, the sliding surfaces, the cartilage mm. surfaces that between the that go between the bones are not working the way they should, and therefore, it's a it's stiffer. Mm. Is the is the idea that there's no movement in there? Yeah. Well, so it says like again, even on that's probably a spectrum. Like the word fused does come up mm. as well. So like it's fused because it has just been stiff for a very long time. So I think what you'd find is like. If you were to try and move it actively, probably just doesn't really move. And if you were to try and move it passively, you might get a little bit, but you're probably not getting much. Yeah. And I think, yeah. Whereas the limitus is more likely to change through, you know, repeated exposure yeah. to it, it has the capacity to change in yeah. some way. Like if you can identify some of the, the causes or things that are limiting that toe, then I think you will find that you'd be you're able to create the change or a change that you're looking for. Yeah. Cool. But even that, like, is a dichotomy. It's fascinating to dive into, right? It's just mm. like, you know, you have a stiff big toe or you have a really, really stiff big toe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a, yeah. And I guess one is much more likely to change through progressive overload, mm. um, as in stretching, loading, um, strengthening, all of those things, which yeah. would be the limitus. Yeah. Whereas by the sound of it, there might be deeper changes in the joint that will make that a very tough battle with yeah. the rigidus. Yeah. And like sometimes again, even at your best effort, you just, you can do all the hard work and it's not that saying that you shouldn't try to do some of that work regardless. Mm. Cause again, you might not really know until you try, like even if you have x-rays or scans and you see there are arthritic joint changes and stuff like that doesn't mean something can't move. You've got to always remember that. It's just like, yeah, maybe it makes it harder, but it's still worth trying to see if you can get an extra couple degrees out or not. And as we touch on, like you can change a lot of symptoms and function regardless of it actually moving differently. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably a good point is, yeah, just because obviously, as we've said at the start, you do need to seek the opinions of you know practitioners, medical practitioners or health practitioners in helping you with these conditions. But um, you shouldn't always take the opinion of a single practitioner as gospel, Um you know, there's probably been a lot of people with osteoarthritic changes in their knees, for example, who've been told to avoid squatting, um, where, you know, squatting with the right level of range of motion and intensity uh, can actually be really good for osteoarthritis. Um, and lots of different types of exercises mm. with the knees can be really good for osteoarthritis. So, um, 
you know, it's always worth getting a second opinion, especially if the initial opinion is that you shouldn't move. Yes, yeah, that's probably a, a red flag. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, even if you're not moving a whole heap through your... And this kind of gets into the treatment, I suppose. Mm. But even if you're not moving through a heap through the actual big toe itself, it still would be very helpful to be optimizing the function of the muscles and joints around that area anyway. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Uh, but we'll get more into yeah. that later. Uh, so someone, you know... Obviously, stiffness is an issue and you might notice that affects your walking or your running or um, your ability to do certain movements in the gym, whether it's split squats. You know, these are just the things I'm thinking of um, where big toe extension is really needed. Um, but why else would someone be worried about a limitus, a hallux limitus or rigidus? I suppose they'll be worried about it because it hurts. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a classic. Probably a good one, right? Yeah. Um, where's it going to hurt? Well, exactly where we're talking about for the most part just around the big toe joint so again just if you look down at your toes and you, you can see where the joint is you know often people report pain around there and, and again often an aching sensation I, i'd imagine though like with anyone if you moved quick enough or sharply enough you'd get a sharp sort of acute pain mm-hmm. um again if it is quite stiff and if you are let's say you're on the limiter side of it you try to move into that range that's greater than your control the way your joint's supposed to go really quickly. And as an example, like, you know, let's say you are running or you're playing a multi-directional sport and you go to push off and then the joint happens to go further than you can control. I'm imagining that's going to be more than an ache. It's probably yeah. going to hurt a fair bit. So I think what you'll find and see with a lot of the people is that, again, pain around the area, aching. And then to your point, anything that requires your toe to go into extension or dorsiflexion, bend backwards, however you want to visualize it, is likely to cause some discomfort. Mm. And again, what you might often find with that is a, there could be a sequelae, which we'll touch on like why it happens in the first place. But just because the big toe doesn't move, you might then end up having problems around the foot, around the ankle, around the knee, around the hip or the back because the big toe just isn't moving. Mm. So if somewhere up the stream is having to change the way it works and some structures may just get loaded more across time that they're not ready for and you might have sensations across the whole chain. Yeah, so the the yeah the stiff big toe can have big effects all the way up the chain, and it obviously, like Tom said, you need, well, ideally, you want that sixty degrees for efficient walking and running mechanics, and so if you don't have that, then your mechanics will be affected, um, yeah, which can cause other issues. So it's definitely a good one to work on and improve where possible. Mm. But in order to work on it and improve, obviously there's the simple, you know, move it more, but it's always helpful to understand a bit about the root cause, what, what things might be causing it to help understand, you know, different things to take away. You know, it's one thing to add movement, but then if there's something else that you're doing or wearing, for example, that is contributing to the problem, then it might be a one step forward, one step back kind of thing, which is gets pretty frustrating. Mm. So root causes. Well, I think yeah, the first one I think it's mentioned here is like the trauma. I think mm. yeah, if you if you are someone who's had like a turf toe or someone who's had um, a Liz Frank injury or a fracture of the, the first uh, race, like the metatarsal or like the, the big toe itself, I think that is often going to be a huge contributing factor, particularly to limitus and maybe down the track rigidus, essentially because A, it hurts at the start, so you don't move it. And for a period of time, if there's a fracture, you're not going to move it. So you have to assume that one of the biggest root causes for progressing as someone having an injury I think mm-hmm. first and foremost and when you get past that we then start looking more into like 
how are you moving, right? So essentially, like in our world, motor control is like how are you moving and why are you moving. And I think this is where it's interesting to dive into just to see like what are all the potential ways that you might end up having like a stiff big toe, like you know. And like you said, one is like you just don't move it through extension. So again, you might get a stiff big toe if you're someone who just sits down all day, never walks much, you mm. don't run, you don't exercise. Like that can definitely control it. From a more let's go outside of that scope, it's like. The big toe tendon itself and the joint just don't experience that load as you're walking maybe because of the shoes you wear. So we know now a lot of shoes have you know a very high heel, which then goes down. You have this toe spring and the toe spring is essentially taking away a lot of the toe extension that you would naturally get. So mm. whilst- the toe spring being the little... If you, most people will be familiar with this. If you place a typical running shoe or pretty much any typical modern shoe on the ground and you look at it from the side you'll see that the toes come up off the ground so the toe the toe part of the shoe is not flat on the ground mm. that's that's basically the toe spring and then yeah you just never get access to full toe extension so then you end up eventually across time getting stiff mm. and what's really important to note there is like if your big toe doesn't go through extension one of the biggest sequelae of problems or the sequence of problems that happen is that you end up using a lot more muscular energy. And the reason for that is that there's something that I don't know if we've touched on a previous podcast called the windlass mechanism. Mm-hmm. And essentially what happens is as your toe goes into extension, a lot of the soft tissue, that sorry, the non-contractile tissue, so think like um, fascia, think like your plantar fascia, for example, it all gets wound up to create a rigid lever for you to push off. And essentially it makes the system a bit more efficient because we're not having to use muscular energy to get into that place. And if I can't access that, I'm going to try to access it when I'm walking because it's the way that we're sort of um, biologically and evolutionarily designed. I will use much more muscular effort to get there. So Mm. it it doesn't sound like a lot, but let's say you are someone who does walk a lot and you're someone who just doesn't have access to that uh, big toe extension. You're going to be using more energy to try and achieve the same position. Mm. So again, you might not come out as like a, I feel sore on my calves or my hips, but eventually I think you just end up using more energy, which is not good or bad. It's just something to note. And particularly like if we look at more of the fascial idea of like how we can use the non-contractile tissue to use like elastic energy as an example, the way that often works is if I wind it up like a rubber band, if I pull a rubber band and then I let go, the rubber band returns to its original size. Our body can do a lot of the same stuff through walking and running. So if I can get into those positions, such as getting my big toe extended, as I sort of roll through in that push off, I don't have to push off. My leg just naturally will swing forward because of this sort of fascial connection. And some of that gets lost if your big toe doesn't extend. Mm. I think mm. that's a hugely important one that often ends up happening. And then you see, again, up the chain, people are compensating, whether that's overextending their knees or overextending their back, particularly to try and get into these same positions where the toe is just not doing its job. Mm. And... Another interesting aspect of that is the link, which you've just alluded to, between toe extension and hip extension, right? And so if you're really limited in, in the toes, in the toe extension because you've had an injury, for example, then you, while you're walking um, or running, then you likely won't be going into as much hip extension. So a, a stiff toe could contribute to a stiff hip. And likewise, if you're someone, maybe you haven't injured your toe and you might even wear natural shoes that don't have a toe spring, but if you're sitting down in a chair all day and your hips are getting stiff, then you're naturally not going to move as far back into that hip extension and therefore not as far back into the toe extension while you walk and therefore a stiff hip could contribute to a stiff toe. 
100%. And I think like clinically what you'll see, and again, there is no pattern that suits all of humans, mm. but there's a very common pattern that occurs that if you can't use your big toe and ankle, like the way we we're sort of supposed to, you don't use your hip as well. And if you don't do that, then often it happens you extend the knee and you extend your lower back. Mm. And again, all that means is you're likely to put more load through the knee and the lower back because they go into more stable positions. So like locked out positions. And that's not good or bad. It's just to note that it's different to using your hip and big toe and it's not necessarily getting the free access to the elastic energy and like the better pushing off that we see uh, as people who are unsure, don't wear shoes and haven't had injuries. And again, always remember those things. It's just, it's a different way of moving and we don't have to say one's up more optimal than not, but there are just like, there are big differences that can help understand why you might feel stiff and sore in certain spots mm. versus someone who hasn't had the problem. Yeah. And like you said, yeah, it's not as simple as one movement pattern is good, one movement pattern is bad, but what it comes down to is your movement systems need variability. And if you always default to one way of moving because you don't have the option of moving in a different way. So if your hips and toes are really stiff, and as Tom said, that's placing more or different load onto your spine and knees, uh, but you don't have the option of you know, moving your hips and toes more because they're stiff, then that's more of the issue is that you're probably going to overload those other areas because your hips and toes aren't doing what they need to do, mm. which is something that we come back to pretty frequently for every Almost every, every time. Um, and underlying so, principle that make joints move. Yeah. So it's, it's not that any movement of the spine or knee is bad at all. In fact, probably all movements are good as long as they are balanced out with movements in the opposite direction. And, um, you know, also there's an aspect of just increasing capacity in those areas too um so yeah it's it's and the the other thing to consider there is that yes you can there's like it's the difference between efficient movement and effective movement Mm. so you can effectively walk from a to b if your hips and toes are really stiff into extension but that doesn't mean it's efficient and generally how do you know if your movement is efficient, it feels good yeah. and it looks good. So, you know, whether or not it's good or bad or how much it contributes to pain or injury is is almost, um, what's the word? It it's almost doesn't really matter because you want to be moving efficiently because it feels better and it looks better and it's more fun well, it, <laughs> and you can do more. Yeah, well, I think that's the, the big thing like from the motor control standpoint with it to get more scientific here is like if you move what we sort of, what looks efficient and feels efficient essentially means you have more movement options. Yeah. And if you have more movement options on in any given task or on any given day, you are far less likely to continue to load the same tissue over and over again. And we know that repetitive loading of tissue is often going to lead into some form of injury because most people don't get the adequate rest to recover from it. Mm. So again, the more option you have to a point with the physical movement, it just means that your body's nervous system, which computes at a far faster speed than we can really appreciate, can solve movement problems and you move freely, you feel good. Mm. and like the best case example is jumping you look at people jump and land like the ones who feel super efficient and fluid when they land they land like i felt good people who don't like land well and they thud and they just like hurt the knee it's like you can see it straight away and not even that they feel it Mm. every time and like when you try and teach someone about landing like you don't even have to tell them like when they do like what it's like a good landing it's like a comfortable landing they feel it and they go oh that was it 
It's like, yeah, that was it. That's what we want you to do. Yeah. Learn that. Yeah. And, and that almost, that leads into a bigger discussion, which is when movement feels good and efficient, you're more likely to want to do more of it. Yeah. If, if ju- <laughs> Funny if, that. You know, if walking and running and jumping all feel really stiff and awkward and clunky, then you're probably not going to really want to do much of it. Whereas if, it, if they feel really good, you love, you know, you love getting out there and, you know, opening up on the, on a field or just... Um, you know, jumping from rock to rock like I love doing. He you, does love rock hopping. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you're, you're really likely to go and do that, which is, you know, it sounds simple, but um, I think many people struggle to get enough sort of macro movements in their life, like all of these things that are really good for our cardiovascular health and, um, you know, our, our overall movement health. We struggle or people struggle to do that because it doesn't feel good in their bodies. And the way to make it feel good is to unlock um, efficient movement through basically, you know, unlocking or maybe unlocking is not the right word, but getting more strength and mobility in certain muscles and joints. As Tom says, make the parts work like the parts should work. And then building the skill of the movement pattern that you're trying to do. Because walking is a skill, running is a skill. Jumping is a skill. Every movement can be a skill. Every movement can be trained like a skill. Um, and a lot of that just comes down to your intention with what you're doing and, and how mindful you are. Now, it's not always... Is it often, often the body isn't a self-organizing um, system. And so often if you just get the parts working like they should and practice frequently, then your body will self-organize into more efficient movement. Mm. But also mindfully... Um, pl- I think actually just mindfully playing with different movement strategies as you do it, that, that's like practicing the skill basically. Mm, um, and just, and really, uh, exploring those movement options as much as you can. Eventually you will find that happy balance yeah. where it feels good and it feels good during and it feels good afterwards. hundred mm, percent. Um, yeah, I think, and there's some stuff we didn't probably didn't touch on enough there, like in terms of the trauma slash injury we talked about trauma to the big toe but the other one is like probably more common like ankle sprains now it may not seem like it's a huge problem until i'm spraining my ankle but what ends up happening is if you have the inversion sprain particularly you then have this incident where like the lateral part of your ankle is quite sore so you change the way you walk not to load it and you're not going to go into like the position that hurts it which is full toe extension because that's going to be into that same sort of what we call supinated or inverted position. So you sort of avoid it. Hmm. And there's a second part to it where the muscle that runs down the outside of your leg wraps around the outside of your ankle bone called the perineal longus and the perineal brevis. The perineal longus particularly attaches over to your big first toe. (laughs) And when you roll your ankle inwards, it depends. It can, for different people, does different things, but it reacts. There's there's some sort of insult to it. And if it's not... um, able to function like it's designed to then all of a sudden it's going to have these different lines of pull onto that first toe and essentially instead of becoming a useful helper to lock up the rigid lever to be able to push off it may not have the strength or may not have the control to be in that range you stop being able to create a rigid lever from like the midfoot parts like think around the arch and again just from the arch to sort of heel standpoint you can't get into a position which allows your big toe to get into extension and most people probably see that when they have like bunions and they have you know that big toe going inwards which we've talked about at length in another podcast Mm -hmm. which is worth listening to and i think that i mean that comes with you know the word that everyone knows like increased pronation which i don't really know what that means but it's just like if you can't control 
all the joints you can't control the muscles the tendons that move the joints like you have these what is deemed compensations in an actuality a compensation is your body's moving as best it can with the information you're putting into it mm-hmm. so like can we provide it with better information better input better signal yeah so to summarize that injuries or or issues up the stream like at the hips or as tom just said at the ankle or in the leg can affect how the big toe moves um you know especially when you layer that on you know walking around all day and over and over again your body finds these certain habits and it's interesting actually when you've just said that um my i had all of these ankle sprains in grade 12 playing soccer and uh it's no coincidence that my right big toe is more on the limitus scale, uh, more, you know, it's stiffer than my left. And so is my right hip has always been stiffer than my left as well. And That's why both mine were stiff before yeah. I got into all this stuff. There you go. I've had a, a, a no less than 10 ankle sprains total in my life. Yeah. About five each on each side, mostly between the ages of 16 through 21. But you don't really in that time didn't no one really talked about it knew about it and like the sequelae of events that have happened and yeah it 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 can definitely do a lot up the chain like you said like my left side's worse or stiffer than my right and i can feel the hip stiffer like that whole side takes more work Mm. to bring it back to baseline yeah and so all of that is good to recognize and to be aware of um but we said we said this the other day if you focus too much on your injury history as the cause, um, it can feel a bit, start getting a bit helpless because it's like, well, I had my injuries and it's left me with this and you're ba- you basically become a victim of your injury and there's nothing you can do about it. But if you thinking about, if you think about it as well, the injuries caused a certain pattern of movements or behaviors or load, you know, loading behaviors, loading patterns, in my body, um, then I can, I can actively change some of the loading patterns and those movement patterns. And therefore I can most likely improve this condition. Well, look, take take back the control. Good case in point. I wouldn't be the physio that I am right now without all of the injuries that I suffered. Same. It is literally the, the mindset around the injury is what will govern how you sort of achieve success or not going forward. For sure. You can either see it as a, um, uh, I guess, a nuisance or, yeah, like you're the victim of it, or you can see it as an opportunity to improve your body and, and to, you know, build, build some character. Um, <laughs> build some Get some hair <laughs> in your chest. And also, you know, I, I've actually been able to definitely, like you said, been a better physio and to help more people because of the injuries that I've had. And even if you're not a physio or a practitioner of some kind, then you actively taking control of your rehab and and looking after your body, you'd be surprised how many people that could influence uh, mm. over time, even just by you telling your story. Um, we see it a lot in our in our community, our digital community, um, in the Explorer membership, where or even just in the free community as well, where people are sharing about their improvements in something that they thought couldn't improve or whatever. And there's a lot of people seeing that and taking inspiration from that. And, you know, it's, it's this, it can create a, a whole different culture, which is mm. what we need around injuries. Mm. So a bit of a, that was a bit of a tangent, but, um, 
solutions. Oof, we love some solutions. We've kind of touched on a few so yeah. far, well, but I think I think the overarching one, which probably is just back to the name of the podcast, is it is probably worth finding a practitioner that can help you sort of delineate: do I have rigidus or limitus? Mm. Because I think having a more clear understanding of uh, where your toe is at is going to help you set better expectations. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be key. So like find someone that you do that or if you're a very self you know reliant do the research online get a clear definition of these things write it down test it yourself and figure that out because that will change your approach mm-hmm. but past that point let's go back to our favorite one natural footwear yeah so you want to talk about the toe spring that you talked about before and why people should probably get a flat shoe yes mm. well i guess it's a, that is a bit of a nuanced mm. one as well mm. because in the case of as Tom just said, depending on how limited your toe is, will depend on how much you want to eliminate that toe spring straight away. Mm. Because if you go straight away, then and you you're used to having that toe spring, then that will change a lot of different things about your gait uh, or your walking or running style, and that could have issues in itself. So, you know, ideally you would be working towards a flatter shoe that has less and less of a toe spring so that that acts as basically a gradual mobilizing force on your big toe because every with every step you take something needs to um, go into extension basically Mm. to push forward and if you've got a lower or less of a toe spring or a flatter shoe then you'll have to use more of your big toe or you're more likely to use more of your big toe yeah and i think you may still compensate in other ways and toe out or whatever um but certainly a big thing to start transitioning towards not necessarily to switch to and you probably hear us say this every podcast as well but a transition towards more natural flatter um shoes will be helpful in the long term and that might just take time that's something that you know again you have to appreciate that as you're transitioning the shoe it does it's not necessarily a matter of months either like it can take two years three yeah. years like if you've been wearing unnatural footwear for 30 years like it's it's hard to expect that it's going to change rapidly yeah and and so, and sometimes it's best to actually stay in your current footwear that allows you to walk pain-free and everything uh, while working on the strength and mobility mm. and to the point where you can um, get into some more some flatter footwear and, and probably a good a good indicator is you know do you go barefoot at home so yes you if you go out for a walk say you go, you're going out for your your daily walk you or, or or your daily work whatever you do on your feet for long periods um and you strap on your your shoes that have a you know a lot of cushion and a toe spring and a, and a four foot rock you know that does it all for you but are you able to go barefoot at home does your toe hurt when you go barefoot or can you actually go barefoot at home for half an hour and walk around and do some chores? That's a good indicator that you could probably get into a much flatter um, footwear. Yeah, well, much flatter it, it, pair it of just shoes. sort of means that you have some capacity in there yeah. that you could start to expand quicker. If you're unable to, then it probably just indicates it might take a bit longer. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you might... If you, if you do really struggle to go barefoot even for like five minutes, then it's a sign, well, I should probably work on the strength, mobility, control in my foot for a while while still using this pair of shoes um, and then retest. Oh, now I can go barefoot for 15 minutes. 
Now I can go barefoot for 30 minutes. Okay, this is, you know, you'll feel the improvement. I think yeah, the test retest model is always the key. Because yeah. again, it, it also allows you to increase what we call self-efficacy and, and confidence in yourself. Like, you, I know that I'm going to try and test walking for 15 minutes barefoot. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but I'll test it and see, ah, oh, I've gone well or B, hasn't gone so well. And then you have options. Like, if you don't do anything, you never have options. So you're just yeah. not sure what the next step is. Yeah. So always, always testing, taking notes. How did your feet respond, um, and adjusting accordingly. Yeah. It's, it's all. It's basically the concept of self-regulation. Yes. So then, uh, speaking of strengthening and mobilizing, what well, have we got? Yeah. So starting from the toe and work up. So again, if everyone, if you look at your big toe, you've got like the joint that's sort of just below the actual nail bed itself, and then you've got the the big toe knuckle which is where the stiffness starts now really you want to make sure you have movement through there again mobility strength control whatever word you want to put to it you want to get that thing moving and you want to get it moving on both sides of the joint so even though we're talking about trying to pick the toe up and go into extension you want to make sure you can curl the damn thing like can it go both ways and this is something that's you know becoming a lot more well known now about like just general principles of flexibility and range of strengths work of like if i'm just trying to constantly pull my big toe up Right, I'm not really going to appreciate how the other side of it's responding. So if I can do some some strength work, which again can doesn't just mean you have to go and do lunges or backwards walking or anything. You can do like a whole series of different versions of strength work for for that knuckle and joint. Whether that's a you know contract contract method, PNF method, crack mm. method. Like there is just thousands of different like different ways of doing it. But essentially, you need to find ways to learn to contract muscles around both sides of the joint. And then probably passively get in there, start moving it around. Like we do obviously a lot of work with the human toe spreader or just like toe mojoing and just stuff that gets the toe moving regularly. Um, we've got some, for anyone interested, we've got some uh, instructionals on how to do that within our free community and the training systems and in some of the challenges as well, if you're wanting some guidance there. Because definitely that's, I think that's the first point, obviously locally make sure the big toe joints are doing what they need to getting some movement in there and then apply the same concept going up the chain so like we talked about that perineal longus that comes down the outside of your leg uh it essentially acts as a horse stirrup with the muscle on the inside known as your tibialis posterior Mm -hmm. post podcast also up and running that was our previous one a few Uh, weeks ago now essentially those two are going to have a huge uh, motor control around what happens at that midfoot with how it sort of rocks into pronation or into supination and again you want to make sure that you've got access to range in there so your big toe can get into the position to go through that full toe extension when you do go to walk off. What you'll find is often people will not have that. They'll compensate for it in such a way that means that these can't get into big toe extension. So I would go check that and then the next level up is go to the ankle, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like you need to make sure that each part of that kinetic chain is able to do stuff. And that would be the primary importance. And then, you know, you go to the knee, you can see how the knee is rotating, see how the knee is bending, and then you get up to the hip and do the same thing. But essentially, it's like the same sort of um, roadmap. Like, go test joints, see if they move. Do they not move? Start making them move. We can get real nuanced and real into the weeds with it. But like, you want to make sure that you can distribute the load across all of the chain. So as you are going forward, like you're, you're building capacities, you're building ranges of work building the ability to do stuff so you can actually go through and put load through the big toe i think yeah. that's like a big the key like it's a good example like one of the uh, our explorers in the membership like you know she had was having 
anterior ankle pain, obviously not the big toe, but a lot of it was she just kept jarring her ankle into dorsiflexion and had no control through the back tissue. Um, didn't really use her foot to pronate to like unlock it all. And like by simply just unlocking the foot a bit more, mobilizing, getting it moving, giving her a little bit more control through her calf tissue, her like, you know, testing obviously gets better. That's the easy part, but the symptoms improve. And then she's able to do the thing that she wanted to do, which was lots of walking. That's hmm. like, we probably haven't changed much in that time period around the structure of the joint of the ankle itself, but we've just helped redistribute some of that load elsewhere. So then we can actually go, okay, how do we build up the capacity into the joint to a place where this doesn't happen again as well? Yeah. So, yeah, I think like it's a, it seems pretty simple, I suppose, because it is pretty simple. Simple, but not yeah. necessarily easy. Yeah. That's always the, the case. It takes time. Like structural changes take time. Like, yeah. you know, again, simple rules of like, to see in changes in strength it takes six to eight weeks, but it takes far longer for tendons, joints, ligaments to get their adaptation kicking in mm. and bones for that matter too. So mm. that can take, you know, a period of, or a process of years, depending on how stiff it is. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta stick at it. You gotta find some joy or some meaning in the process. Um, and obviously you gotta, you have to be consistent, but also you have to take notes and take photos and take videos and, and that really helps with um, get staying motivated on the journey. It's like, oh, have I really improved? And then you look at a photo from a month ago, and you're like, oh no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely improving. Yeah. Um, and that just gives you extra motivation to keep on on track. And um, as we always talk about, self regulation, adjusting the load uh, and the intensity as you need to, up and down, depending on how your body responds to what you're doing, and all of that. You know, like like we said, we it sounds really simple, um, and we you know we are simplifying it. That's basically the whole point of this these podcast series is to simplify these um, topics and and get you started. But it definitely isn't easy. Uh, but what makes it a lot easier is having a structured and guided program um, and a community of people around you supporting and giving their experiences and this and their um, uh, insights or or whatever. So. Um, that's where this shame, the shameless plug naturally for our Explorer membership starts off with that six week program that builds all of these habits and gives you all the routines, um, and, uh, exercises that you need to build a really solid daily practice. Um, and also involves a lot of checking in, uh, you know, self-assessments and checking in regularly and noting how you're going. Um, plus Tom and I are in there keeping an eye on you along your journey as well. So if you're just feeling like you're, you're ready to just start something that will give you all the structure you need, that's the place to go. And so far, it's been pretty good. So far, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. We've had, yeah, we've just in the last few weeks, we've had some of the first people finish that six-week course and um, we've kind of been blown away by the feedback actually. Um, just, it, it's we, always, we it, figured it'd be good. Yeah, the, the point <laughs> but, is like, we, we worked pretty hard to get it up and just to see it helping people and getting like the feedback from them around it. And like, again, like good and bad feedback, things that we can prove things that like have mm. gone really, really well. It's like Mate, it, no bad, no, there's been no bad feedback. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, no. it's, it's, it's pretty good. You know, we haven't <laughs> no. had too much bad feedback. That, that's the thing. Like it, it has been very over overwhelmingly positive and like from a, from an expectation standpoint and like a journey standpoint, but also just like the results people are getting. Like you get, yeah. you, you're seeing people set themselves up and like, you know, weeks after doing it, like, this is what I'm doing now. Like, it's like, 
this is amazing. Yeah. Like, people are making those changes. Yeah. And it is, yeah. We haven't had bad feedback. There's been definitely constructive feedback. And certainly a lot of it, a lot of the constructive feedback is between us who developed it mm. and who've also gone through it. And there's always going to be things to improve. Um, but as it stands, a, a, I don't know of anything else like it where you can, it's a very holistic way of approaching natural foot function and it actually sets you up for you know a whole life of better movement health really it's not just about feet feet are like the gateway yeah so if you if you do have a foot problem like hallux limitus or rigidus or any of these other foot problems um that we're exploring it can be an amazing opportunity to actually revolutionize your whole movement health and and look after your body for the long term and uh yeah, so we can highly recommend it. Yeah. We also do have... You can check all these details out, by the way, on the landing page. But, um, you know, if you jump in, you do the work and you just get no benefit, no value, just for some reason doesn't work for you, highly doubt it. But if that's the case, there is a money back guarantee. So, you know, there's, there's really no risk. We only want people um, to pay for it if they get value out of it. And... So, yeah, just literally have a crack. There's, there's really no risk. You either benefit, you get a lot of value, or you don't pay for it anyway. So That's a win-win. Yeah. So, yeah, you can check out the landing page in the show notes. Um, there's also just the free community, plenty of stuff in there, like I said, um, around with some instructional videos on the foot and ankle stuff and, and also some challenges around feet balance squat and this month's challenge is the ground so heaps to explore reach out if you've got any questions um if you want to book in there's uh there'll be a page in the show notes as well if you want to book in for a telehealth appointment um or feel free to email us with any questions uh, about practitioners in your local area. Uh, I think that pretty much covers it though. I think it does. Cool. Well, we, we'll try not to leave it too long, but although it probably will be because we're both going away. Yeah, we're both going to Europe. Yeah, weirdly. <laughs> I hope I don't see you. Yeah, yeah I'll see you floating around barefoot somewhere. Yeah, yeah. We'll be the only barefooters. Mm. Actually, no, I think there's quite a barefoot scene in Europe. Yeah, and it'll be summer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Might, we might start a revolution. Maybe, yeah. Um, but we will be back in probably a month's time for another one of these. If you have suggestions or um, requests on conditions to do, please send them through. Uh, and as always, if you if you got value out of this podcast, share it out with family and friends or anyone that you know who has Halix Limitus or Rigidus. Uh, and leave us a review as well. Always helps. Perfect. Thanks for listening. All right. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join... Just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.